Doctor. 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 And doctor. Well, we miss anyone? He's Northwestern Medicine VP. Call Dr. Morris right now. Sponsored by Northwestern Medicine Relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Good morning, Dr. Kevin Most. How are you? Good morning, Steve. I'm doing great. How about yourself? We're doing fine. You were such a big hit with the flu shots that uh, there were tons and tons of texts that came in after we finished this segment, and um, we sent a few of those to you. You want to fire a few of those off so people might be able to pick up some ancillary information here? Yeah, I mean, there's some really good questions, so I will. I'll kind of crank through these. Um, How many strains of the flu are there? There's three main types, A, B, and C. The influenza vaccine will normally carry uh, four of those, usually two type A's and two type B's, and that's what's in this year. Should the family uh, members that live with an uh, immunocompromised uh, patient get the shot? Absolutely. You're doing it to protect that individual as well. You don't want to expose them to A good one for seniors, should I get the pneumonia shot first and then a flu shot or the other way around? You can get them both at the same time. So you can get the uh, flu vaccine and one of the pneumonia shots. You have to remember there's two pneumonia shots, the Prevnar 13 and the Prevnar 23. They should be given about six months apart. So you can get uh, one of the pneumonia shots along with the influenza if you if you can. Let me ask you a question that kind of stems yeah. off that that has nothing to do with flu. If yeah. you take multiple prescription meds, and I remember this specifically when my mother was dealing with rheumatoid arthritis, um, and, and you're supposed to take them at a particular time of day, does your body have the ability to discern, and a stupid question, but discern the difference between them so that you can take them all at one time? If you, Let's say you've got four things you're supposed to take in the morning. Yep. You can yep. take them all at one time? For the most part, you really, anybody who's on multiple drugs, there are very simple apps called drug interaction apps. Go in there, put those in. Your doctor should have told you, but go in and put those in, and they'll say that there's no interaction. And then also know there's still some medications that you take on empty stomach, some that you take with food, so you should know that as well. It should say right on the prescription bottle. But for the most part, absolutely. I take my cholesterol, my blood pressure medicine all uh, the same time at night. And again, read and follow all label directions. Some destination charges may apply. Tax and services are extra. And all of this is because we got the permission of Major League Baseball. All right. Uh, I got a couple more flu questions. Yeah. I just heard last night that the senior flu shot has a shortage. Not so much a shortage. It's more of a delay. And we talked about that on Friday. They delayed the uh, starting of the manufacturing of the vaccine by a month or so. So we're going to start to see more of these trickle in. Call your Walgreens. Call your doctor to see if he has the vaccine. You really should. We really should not be seeing a shortage at all. There'll still be 170 million doses of this as well. And is it safe to go to Walgreens or CVS for the flu shot or should go to my doctor? We all have the exact same vaccine. So another caller or another texter said, hey, you know, maybe the reason people get sick after getting the vaccine is because they're going to some place where sick people are being taken care of. Interesting concept. So going to uh, CBS or Walgreens is not a bad idea. And you're going to start to see a lot of either grocery stores or the Walgreens, you know, offering these vaccines for free to get you in the door. Uh, so take advantage of that as well. And Doc, I forgot to tell you, I had a physical the other day. Yeah. All-time low blood pressure. I think it's like 9 over 4 or something. It's super low. <laughs> That's not good either, right? Well, maybe it's not that low. Yeah. But the doctor, Dr. Ambler, the world-famous Dr. Ambler, who is very pleased. Yeah, that's good. I mean, hey, low blood pressure is good. People say, well, how how low can it go? And really, it more it depends on how well you're functioning. So if you 
if you're walking around and you feel fine and you're able to run up a flight of stairs and your blood pressure is uh you know, 100 over 80 or 100 over 70, that's great. So uh, it's really it's more the blood pressure, how effective your heart can pump and still uh, get enough blood to your brain, to your kidneys, and uh, to your heart. Yeah. Mine's really low. Sometimes when I try to give Mine's blood, lower. it's too low. Mine's, Mine's lower. totally lower. Then i got to go run yeah. around for a while <laughs> before I can give blood. <laughs> Kind of fun. Yeah, they don't ask me to run around. Um, and, Doc, we got a bunch of shingles questions related to the flu vaccine. Anything we should know about the shingles vaccine? You know, I, I just say one thing I would say about the shingles vaccine is get it. You know, people say, can I get it if I had chicken pox? Can I get it if I haven't had chicken pox? Absolutely, you should get it. The new shingles vaccine is very good. Many individuals say, I got the old one. Should I go and get the new one? And the, uh, my answer to that is yes, it has much better coverage. The biggest complaint people have is that it's not covered by Medicare. So if you have supplemental insurance, it may be covered. But uh, this is one you can shop around a little bit, too, and see uh, exactly how much it's going to cost you. All right. Well, we come back, Doc. Uh, in just a couple minutes, we're going to uh, you know uh, go over why we talk so much about breast cancer in October. Yep. I gotta say, um, I, I salute uh, all the major breast cancer awareness charities. They've done an amazing job of marketing uh, the need for funds and the need for understanding. And over the course of your career, uh, you got to be amazed at how much cancer technology has changed and all the breakthroughs that have happened. Huh? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think we're just the tip of the iceberg, to be honest with you. So for people who say cancer's been around, diagnosed and called cancer for, you know, more than half a century, we're just, well, why isn't it cured by now? Can you explain that it's a, it's a multifaceted disease? Yeah, absolutely. We say cancer, and we think it's one thing, but obviously it's not. You know, we, there are many, many, many. I, I can't even tell you how many different types of cancer there are. You know, just about every organ we have in our body can get cancer to it. So, and then each of those cancers can be different as well. So, you know, cancer—the word just itself—is that you know the cells multiply in a timely that they shouldn't be, and they're abnormal, and they cause wreak havoc and cause many bad things to happen. But when we talk about just general cancer. The advancements that we've made in prevention, identification, and treatment over the past 10 years, 15 years, and what's going to be coming in the future is just um, mind-blowing, to be honest with you. There was a talk of, a, speaking of the flu vaccine and the dead flu virus, uh, there was talk of doing a similar thing with um, injecting or surgically implanting um, dead cancer cells that the body would then recognize and try to attack. Is that gone anywhere? Yeah, it absolutely is. You know, um, one Mayo Clinic has a, a study going on right now for a cancer, excuse me, a vaccine for breast cancer that looks very promising. Wow. We're also seeing ones for melanoma that is that are very promising. So there's a lot here that we're looking at saying if we can teach the body that this cancer is abnormal because the body normally sees it as it's normal, it doesn't fight it. But if we can show that it's abnormal, we can turn the immune system on to fight cancer at an early stage that's going to be the future of, of cancer therapy. Come back, talk more about breast cancer yep. in a moment. Back with Dr. Kevin Moe, sponsored by Northwestern Medicine. Relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Over 3 million breast cancer survivors in the United States. Over 350,000 women will receive a diagnosis of breast cancer this year. 40,000 can still die from the same disease. The work continues, G. 
I had a friend who passed away from breast cancer at age 27. She had a very aggressive form of Sorry, breast cancer. And um, she never had any sign of cancer in her family. So she didn't even know to really look out for it. Um, I There's been so much debate about at what age should you... To, you know, get a mammogram and when you should be actually concerned and actively um, thinking about breast cancer as a possibility. Yeah, gee, um, sorry for the loss of your friend. That's Those are the stories that we hate to hear, you know, because did we let that person down by not screening at that time? But in all honesty, at that age, it's, that's that's a very rare cancer. So there is a lot of controversy as far as when we should start screening for mammogram or start screening for breast cancer. A lot of societies will say 40, other societies will say 50, and I think this is one of those where it's a good personal conversation with your physician to hear what he, he or she feels, and then also to make sure that you're doing a great family history. Individuals who have a history of breast cancer in their family definitely should be screened early, and now it's a matter of is it even before 40? Are we going to capture some of those individuals, just like we're starting to see with colon cancer? It seems, too, I've had a couple of girlfriends who, you know, detected the lump in their breast themselves. It was never detected by doctors, and it was before they were even 40. Um, I guess, you know, we're told that we're supposed to do self-exams and when to do them. But what are we really supposed to be looking for? What would feel odd? Yeah. So really, you are, you are looking for those lumps. You are looking for growth. So, you know, if, if you feel the breast normally and it feels very nice and smooth and no, no um, uh, unusual, we'll say, bumps or masses, and that's what really you're looking for. You're looking to see if there's anything unusual from the last time you did it. The self-exam is great. It's one, one is great for awareness. You know, two, it's keeping it on the top of everyone's mind and making sure that we're always thinking about it and also to remind you, you know, to talk to your doctor about it. A good self-breast exam is great if you've been taught by your doctor how to do it and your doctor will actually do it and tell you what to look for and how to do it. Probably the bigger thing is now is that the advancements of the radiology portion of it have been so great that the self-exam is great to do, but often it is going to be that mammogram that's going to find it. The other thing you said, too, is kind of interesting. One of these is when we find a mass, everyone thinks, oh, my gosh, this is cancer, and it's often just a cyst. So breasts can have cysts, which are fluid-filled, benign masses, I'll say, um, but individuals can uh, identify them early, and then we can do an ultrasound to see if it's solid, where it's cancer, and we'd be concerned, versus just a fluid-filled cyst, and we're a lot, we're not as concerned, and often we'll just go in and aspirate that. Because it's honestly, psychologically, it's difficult because you're, you know, doing the exam, and then you're like, oh, that feels weird, that feels odd. You don't really know, like, what to really look for, so that is a good point to actually go through that with your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And if you find something to go through it with the doctor and say, here, this is where it is. Let me. And he says, OK, he or she looks at it and says, OK, that's great. I feel that as well. Let's get some further testing on it. Now, once that testing is done, it's either going to be, hey, let's let's do a lumpectomy. Let's take that out of there. Or, boy, we just did an ultrasound and that's a fluid filled cyst. Don't worry about it. But now, you know, that's there and you can go, oh, OK, that one is there. It hasn't changed in size. Great. We already know that that one's OK. We got Mary uh, Vandeveld in here, if you'd like, Mary. But first, risk factors for breast cancer. Let me throw some of these out. How big a deal is age? 
Age, you know, we know that it's going to continue to increase. And now, if, as G said, you know, I had a friend in her 20s, but really it's going to start to increase from the age of 40 on up. And as we age, we're going to see a higher chance all the way up to about the age of 70 when it kind of levels out. Genetics a huge deal. The BRCA gene, is there a good test for it? And how that's, do we know we need it? That's what I was going to ask about because yep. I know two people recently that just got tested for that and they're positive. So they yeah. went through mastectomies. Yeah. Yeah, so the BRCA gene is it's it's fairly unusual or it's fairly rare, but it is out there. In the BRCA gene, essentially, we have genes, we have um, uh, genetic uh, ability to actually correct some cancers before they occur. BRCA gene is one of those. So if you have a, if your genes are working right and there's a small defect, it's going to eliminate that. The BRCA gene doesn't allow that to happen, and it becomes damaged, and it no longer can repair broken DNA, and therefore your incidence and your risk of of cancers, not only breast cancer but other cancers, can go up. So very important for people if they have a family history of of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, you're going to see the doctors doing the, the blood test for the BRCA gene. Do you have follow-up with that, Mary, or was that where you were going? No. That, well, I also had a, a question about the 3D, the, the mammograms yeah, yeah. that are the big thing now, it seems. Have they made an advancement in finding a breast cancer earlier as well? Absolutely. You know, we used to do breast uh, mammograms, and it just was essentially two-dimensional. It was just, a, you know, a couple different views of the breast. And now, with the tomosynthesis, so if you see, if you're going to have um, a mammogram done, make sure you're going someplace that has something called digital tomosynthesis. It's fairly common right now. The machines are a little expensive, but, you know, m- most places have them. And instead of just taking three different views of the breast, it actually takes 11 different shots, and then it, that information is sent to the computer, and they make a 3D, they make a three-dimensional picture. So you know you can look and say, oh, I see a spot, but I don't know how deep that is with traditional mammograms, and therefore you have to have additional MRIs or other additional tests. Where with the Tomo, it's going to tell me exactly where it is, not just in the upper outer quadrant, but how deep it is and where it is in proportion to other parts of the breast. All of the risk factors are listed in the notes. It'll be posted with the podcast of this shortly after the show, and we encourage you to listen to it again and uh, make sure you're up to date on it. And we're not trying to scare you. It's just the risk factors can help determine what your next step should be just to take care of yourself. Um, all right, one last word from you, if you would. Male breast cancer. Every time we do a segment like this, you know, we do get calls from people who go, hey, what about male breast cancer? Is Though it's much uh, smaller as far as the slice of the population goes, it's obviously a very big deal for anybody that deals with it. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the the awareness there is great as well. You know, um, I believe it was Beyonce's father, if I'm not mistaken, was just diagnosed with with breast cancer. Right. So just that awareness portion of it, men have breasts as well. Their tissue is not as, as much as women, and they don't have as much of the hormone issues that can uh, trigger this as well. But it still is there, less than 1%, probably less than a half of a percent. But even for males, if you notice any discharge from your breasts, if you notice any blood, if you notice any uh, discomfort there, definitely get it checked out. It's extremely rare, but you know we still have to realize that men still can get breast cancer. Thank you, Doc. As always, your information is crucial. You do so much good for all of us just hearing you talk about this stuff. So, again, we're just trying to fire you up to take good care of yourself. And as always, you're sponsored by Northwestern Medicine. Relentless in their pursuit of better health care. I hope you have a good Monday. You got it. You got it. Get out there. You have a good Monday. Talk to you later. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye. That's Dr. Kevin Moss. He's so good. It's ridiculous.